0: Solve the World, a fictional adventure told in 100 episodes. This week, episode 21, Theater of Remembrance. Jen's second night on the Orion was not a peaceful one for our young protagonist. She tossed and turned, replaying the day's conversations in her head. What must it have been like to lose two children at sea? And from what? From nothing. Just gone. Gone in the night. Gone in their sleep. And Lex, who seemed so normal compared to the others. Did she really believe her mom turned into a seal? And had never heard of such a thing. Not even in fairy tales. And what was up with Lizard? It was bad enough that she couldn't resist flinching every time she gazed at the presence of elephantitis. But that the woman didn't make any sense when she talked. That makes befriending her tricky. And then there's Miles Fa. Running through the story in her head, Jen concluded Fa had to be lying. But why? Maybe he knew exactly why Najar attacked her mechanical giraffe, but wanted to play the fool so she'd trust him? Maybe he actually orchestrated the hit. Maybe he hypnotized Najar specifically to attack her. The smoking gun on Fa's story was an omitting the lawyer, Mark Janner, from his story. Jen faintly remembered Janner mentioning that Najar was someone's client, Clearly, Fa was connected to Najar, who was connected to Janner, who was connected to Lilith Babbitt, the billionaire who gave Jen her ticket onto this clown boat. So, someone up that line had to be responsible. If Fa's story had any truth in it at all, that Najar was hypnotized and secretly let out of Fa's desert retreat, then somebody in that line had to be the cause of the attack. Everyone couldn't be innocent. Jen laid in bed contemplating whether she should trust her new shipmate, or choose to continue trusting the people who got her here. Why are we dead, Jennifer? (gasps) The next day, Jen tried hard to get to work, to be productive. She wanted to be on Merkel and the first mate's good side. This attempt, however, fell to shambles. She was taught over and over how to tie a bowline knot, but whenever she tried to do it in real time, all her bowlines came out as sad-looking pretzels. Even the simplistic clove hitch eluded Jen's motor abilities. But, by midday, the Orion was again ashore, picking up the pagan extremist known as Jorge Robles. The event went not at all as expected. Jen supposed that this, quote, energy kicker, as Father Thomas had described him, would come hooting and hollering and making a general ruckus. Jen was ready for a party. She didn't get it. Jorge Robles climbed aboard the Orion in silence. Worse, the crew didn't even bother to acknowledge him. And worse yet, everyone, seemingly in unison, kept their eyes on the deck at their feet. Only Jennifer's eyes beamed at the gristled, bearded, Hispanic pagan. For a moment, just one instant, Robles caught Jen's gaze. He threw her a smile and a wink before submerging below deck. It wasn't until nightfall, after at least another 50 failed pretzel knots, that the atmosphere on board the Orion changed. The sky was clear. Thousands of stars beamed down. The ocean was calm. If Jen would have been more observant, she would have spied Merkel yanking ropes around high up on the mainsail mast. Everyone out! The Theater of Remembrance has begun! Captain Alf boasted. A spotlight shone up at the mainsail. Merkel, 25 feet up, yanked a lever and down swooped the mainsail. Below, Gudar, the first mate, grabbed an edge and pulled it to the port side edge. Gudar tied the edge of the fabric down in place and it took a moment for Jen's eyes to adjust and take in the scene. They had made the mainsail into a stage backdrop, a convex arena. In that semicircle space, Jorge Robles, the pagan extremist, stood tall. The spotlight swirled around to land on his face. Jen peered around and noticed nearly the whole crew sitting on the deck behind her, glaring up with gleeful anticipation at their own prodigal son. The anchor was set. Jen took a seat. Robles cleared his throat. And began. of Remembrance Come take this chance Hear what will be heard Quiver not at fate foretold Once upon a lifetime When Zeus sat in his prime An angel called out to me An angel whose name is Gimna And he said My son, my son You no longer are the only one. I cried, I shouted, I demanded. Pray tell, don't leave me stranded. That Gimli with weary wings recalled that a woman near sings. She sings the old song about a son soon to birth headlong. I bolted, I ran, I swam to my birth home in the far land. Some call it Mexico. I say that's a low blow. I say my woman gave birth in Bethlehem. Of this, dear friends, do not condemn. For one sees what one wishes, and for a son one endures many bitches. While at first I came upon the land, I saw my woman sinking in the sand. She breathed and she cried and she hissed. Telling me that from my own mother I am missed. Who cares what she feels, I recanted. Tis your allegiance," she chanted. "'If we dismiss our families, then we damn our future crucialies. For in this day we must above all bear our past family with all care. Then if in haste we quickly diminish, the gods of fortune to us will finish." That never forward shall our baby rise, but only regress and regress until he dies. This is the law of the goddess tradition, and so now this must be your mission. Go to your mother, hear what she shall say, and in this way we shall seize the day. For then our son will be born without fortune's turn, and malevolent Lucifer he shall spurn. Lucifer! Lucifer! What talk of devils! Our sun shall reign in all the world's annals! So out I left that very day to find my dearest mother of May. It took a while, scrapping through the forest, to find my mother always the earnest. But found her I did, true as can be, in our old abode, sewing so formulaically. I called out, "'Mama, mamma, que de mal?' "'She cried out. "'Oh, how she cried! "'The curse will not fall!' "'Such news met me with no satisfaction, "'for I never heard that there lay some deep infraction. "'On my head and the brow of my only begotten, "'as sure as I tell you now, "'I thought all was forgotten. Yea, "'No, no, no,' my mother didst proclaim. "'From your father's deeds lay this claim.' There's but one way to end the curse. You must seek and kill your father first. Before that babe is born today, your dreadful father must you slay. Why, oh why, to my mother I did protest. What is this curse that puts me this insidious test? She stole some breath and filled her lungs. My mother did before she hung the fable of tongues. Of how my father never drank his fill, until one day it drove him to kill. And who, indeed, should he kill dormant in Bethlehem? But the town's own mayor, by the name of Saludamon, pierced him in the heart he did, with bottle broken at the lid. This was many years ago, she said, long before you grew in my belly's bed. Yet who should be this Saludamim's wife?" but the descendant of the Mayan life. A witch of much fame and repute, who could still cast a spell without dispute. And cursed, my murderous father she did, under the dark sky of a Mayan pyramid. The wicked witch spelled misery in the sky, and punished us hombres to never feel high. Never should we believe our fortune so grand, we were cursed to notice all of life as bland. The bottle, the beer, the tequila, the gin, such spirits gave rise to the unforgivable sin. My likeness, my own padre, he whom blasphemed, bore the virus of a toxic Mayan scheme that left both him and me full of void. This void in me, this emptiness like an android, is the cause of my wandering heart. From this depression, I can never part. My destiny is set, my future's met, there's no Valhalla waiting for me, nothing more for me to see. I AM THE BASTARD SAINT OF THE SCHIZOID! Listen here, refrain from being annoyed, for as if I had medicated under Freud, I knew what mission now must be employed. It is true, due to my father, I am left devoid, but I shall bless my son and not leave him destroyed by the most vicious of diseases, the vilest of crimes, which is seeing darkness where there is light. My friends, my confession is that I am blind. Yes. Blind in the ways of ecstasy and sublime. The eyes of my soul are covered with grime. This is my heart curse. The bottom of Pa's purse. Theater of remembrance, come take this chance. Hear what will be heard. Quiver not at fate's foretold. You know what must be done. The thing I couldn't shun. Yes, that thing, the great Oedipus... Long worshipper of the god Bacchus. Blind now, sees the future true. His father must be slew. So I traveled, friend. I flew as if a godsend. To my father's first home. The tavern. His catacomb. Our eyes met. destiny set. He asked how I was. I said my babe gives no pause. You know what I must do to end this curse true. My father, the tyrant, bellowed a hideous grunt and laughed an immortal's laugh. He said, I tell you this on your behalf. If you slay your father today, you will surely fall prey. Credulous, I shouted back. I'm already prey of your hijack. You've ruined me and my son too, unless you die this day anew. Idiot! he stammered. I'm not talking of my enchants deferred. A worm lives inside of me. I truly didn't understand his plea. All thought was on my soon-to-be baby. I shoved my knife into his chest churned it in and out of his breast to death to die to fate's eternal i sent my pa to a quick funeral blood he spat from out his lips and died red from mouth to fingertips i sighed but before i turned away out came a worm as big as yahweh a sickening, twisty invertebrate the size of a well round piglet flew through the air towards me. I later discovered from where it got its glee, it grew fat on alcohol, the squirmy beast. Day by day, my father refused to be policed and drank and drank and drank his fill, which nursed this worm like Winston Churchill. An alcoholic has many enemies. Whomever fed him this worm Believed he served him a disease when in fact the worm did affirm to father that the bottom of the bottle has an unseen protector's will to battle or avenge any wanderer for fodder. This worm did fly entirely to my surprise. He had no teeth but rather vicious suckers that gather and glue onto one's skin, much to my chagrin. But I did grab that poison, and like a Viking Norseman, smashed him back down my father's throat. You may say I was cutthroat, having no pity on the creature, too bellicose to wiggle out of its own leecher. Nay, I say, and walked away from that place, to see my son born with a beautiful face. I found him, head pushing free from his mother. What a beaut, I blather. The boy, he smiles to this day. His life he will not betray. For I gave him a gift, that he may never know the rift. The rift I feel so steeply, the pain of which knifes me deeply. As for me, experiences I cannot store. Neither lore, nor score, nor whore can make me whole again. I cannot make amend. Besides to say that, even seeing my son for the first time didn't inspire me to feel anything of the sublime. I am cursed to feel the Mayan trap. Destiny has already written my map. I shall never be happy, senor. For my soul shall be lifted. Nevermore. Theatre of Remembrance, come take this chance. Hear what will be heard. Quiver not, not fate foretold. The theater of remembrance had ended. One by one, everyone came up, hugged, and kissed Senor Jorge Robles. Jen caught up to Miles Far and asked, Was that all true? Did he really kill his father? Was there really a worm living inside of his dad that fed off of alcohol? Is there really a Mayan curse? Miles looked at her smugly. You are a patriot. You saw the tunnels. You should know more than the rest of us what the Mayans are up to. Miles snuck away from Jen and warmly greeted Robles. Behind Miles, Lex waited in line to greet the rhymer. Jen repeated her inquiry. Was that all true? Did he really kill his father? Was there really a worm living inside of his dad that fed off of alcohol? Jen left off the part about the Mayans. She couldn't deal with that right now. Sure it's all true, Lex answered. At least, thematically. Maybe Robles didn't really kill his father. And there probably wasn't any real curse, but there's truth there. With the birth of his own son, he was able to get past, to destroy the sins of his father, to break the chain. You get it? That's how the theater works. Oh, Jen said. A shadow suddenly bathed Jen in darkness. She crested her eyes towards the eagle's nest of the ship, wherein Gimli the Gold perched himself above the rest of the crew of the Orion, at his side, a fanny pack, overflowing with newspapers and mail. Solve the World is produced by myself, Dante Stack. You can find appropriate attribution for all the music and sound effects found in this episode and every other episode of Solve the World at our website, dantestack.com, on our show notes page. Hello, I'm Araya from Kalamazoo, Michigan. I've listened to all 100 episodes of Jen's story. The Theater of Remembrance will one day return to us. But for now, Jen's left with one confusing mystery after another. If the Orion wasn't crazy enough, the emergence of Jorge Robles just made life on the high seas more than a little bit more zany. Now, however, it's time for the Orion to set its path. The time has come for the obsessive crew of the Orion to choose their next adventure. Will Jennifer finally set course to find Leviathan? We'll find out next week on Solve the World.